Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Charlie Matz, filling in for Ben Blakey. It's Wednesday, March 24th, 2021. Rough air. That's what they call it nowadays when you hit that bumpy patch in an airplane. I've been on several flights in my life, and I can tell you that rough air or turbulence is a terrifying thing. But I've also experienced two types of rough air. The first is when it comes out of nowhere without warning. You see drinks spill over, people bump into the side of the plane and maybe even fall over, or worse yet, there may be someone in the restroom who just got the surprise of their life. Then there's the rough air that comes with a warning. The pilot comes over the intercom and warns the cabin about a rough patch coming up. Everyone buckles up, battens down the hatches and hangs on. The experience is still horrifying, but the results are less damaging and you have time to prepare properly. Now, regardless of how, when, or where you've experienced rough air on an airplane, there's one thing that's universally true. When your feet finally hit the ground, you breathe a large sigh of relief and say to yourself, there's no place like home. Today's passage reminds us of a few truths. First off, We have a fair warning. God tells us how this all ends and how to be prepared for it. Second, he gives us examples of how to respond in the middle of difficult storms that we might experience in this life. And third, he reminds us that he is in control. Nothing is surprising to God, and we must trust that he holds the map to our life, directing us to safe harbors. I want to start in our Gospels reading today. In Matthew 24, verses 15 through 28. Let's dive in. In verse 15, we read, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, Jesus is referring to Daniel 9.27. Now, there have been several times in Jewish history where it was thought that the prophecy was being fulfilled, specifically leading up to the destruction of the temple in AD 70. But Jesus makes it clear that the prophecy will be completed when we see the image of the Antichrist being set up as described in Revelation chapter 13. Now, Jesus says, when you see this happening, you need to respond to it quickly, knowing what's next. Jesus then gives a few warnings, implying that it would be better if there was nothing holding anyone back from fleeing from this great tribulation quickly. In verse 17, he says, Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And then again in verses 18 through 20, And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Uh, There will be no time to gather provisions or material possessions. In verse 19, and alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. Uh, They should pray that harsh conditions or important traditions don't distract them from fleeing. During the winter, roads in this geographic area would have been nearly impassable. And on the Sabbath, gates would be shut and provisions wouldn't be accessible. Then again, we read, starting in verse 21, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Perhaps God cuts short this tribulation because it's so intense that all people would be wiped out eventually, Or he ends it out of mercy for the sake of those who have bended the knee to him. 
Then Christ says that there will be people pretending to be him. He gives this warning so that those experiencing this intended deception will remember his words here, these words of warning, and be less susceptible to falling for it. Then Jesus tells us that his coming will be no small thing, starting again in verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, there will be no mystery or wondering when Christ returns. It will be very intense and very visible. And tomorrow, Christ explains his arrival in a bit more detail. Now, as I mentioned yesterday, there are many of us who might believe different things about the end times. We have we may have different eschatological views. Perhaps you're listening to this and you believe that Christians will be taken in the clouds, like in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, before the tribulation. And there are others listening who believe Christians will endure the tribulation with the rest of the population. Now, regardless of views, I think there's a wonderful common ground to cause us to worship God together today. First, praise God that he gives us these warnings, helping us to not be caught off guard when his plan is taking shape during the end times. And second, I think even more reason to worship him, let's be grateful that an end is coming. The king is coming soon. He will roll the clouds away, as we'll see tomorrow, and usher in a series of events that will lead us to an eternity with him. What a thought. What a truth. You know, this world is broken. and We feel that every day in some way. The latest news story about another mass shooting, the latest bill trying to be passed through Congress that will limit religious liberty like we've never seen before in this country, and a divided country and culture almost uh, over almost everything. Let's spend some time praising God that he will make all things new. If we have put our trust in Jesus Christ, then his wrath, it's not for us. That was poured on Jesus Christ on the cross, and we no longer have to bear the wrath of God for our sins. Someday, God will wipe away all of our tears, and someday he will wipe away this earth and create a new one where we will be with him for eternity. Perhaps today is a good day to meditate on that truth. Understanding what you believe about the end times, yeah, that's important, for sure. But let's keep the first things first. All of this and everything that happens is and always will be about God and his glory. Now let's move to the New Testament. We're in Acts 27, 1 through 12. This passage starts out in verse 1 saying, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy. Now the we indicates that Luke, the writer of Acts, is now present with Paul all the way to Rome. We, we see that uh, they were put onto a small coasting vessel, which from what we know probably wasn't built for an open sea voyage. And that kind of sets the tone for the issues that they're going to have throughout this journey. But the first verse that caught my attention today was in verse 3. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Now this Julius treated Paul kindly, and I don't think that this was random. I would have to imagine that Paul was kind to Julius, even though he was being treated as a prisoner and forced to endure harsh conditions, even when Paul knew this was a total unfair treatment. And so that, that's something for us to think about when we're in situations like Paul is. How are we treating those who are maybe part of the mistreatment we're experiencing? Well, Paul obviously is doing a great job at being Christ-like in this situation because Julius is starting to be kind to Paul. And as we're going to see, he, he's going to follow that up with more, uh, more of that to come. Now, the crew sets sail 
and they coast with some difficulty. And then we pick it up again in verse nine, since much time has had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Now this fast refers to the day of atonement in the fall. And it would have been common knowledge that this marked a time in the seasonal calendar when it was too dangerous for sailing vessels to make voyages again, setting the tone for why this is just going to be a difficult situation. And Paul and the rest of the crew probably understood this. And Paul advised them saying, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Now we know as we continue to read on, which we will do in the coming days, that Paul must have responded to this denial with grace because later the men's lives will be saved by listening to Paul and the centurion will also return the favor for Paul as well. Perhaps Paul was reminding himself of of these things as he was on this vessel. Whose control, ultimately, who is in control of the wind and the waves? It's the Lord. That He was immortal until God chose to take him home to be with Christ. That God is sovereign and was working a plan for Paul's good and his glory. So maybe for us, as we think about some of the difficulties in our lives, those could be things I mentioned earlier, or perhaps you're in a season that feels like a windy, bumpy sail across a dangerous ocean. We can trust that God's in control. Are you looking at your life through the lens of your life alone? If so, then your view may be too small and you might be caught paying attention to the wind and to the waves. Or are you looking at your life through the lens of scripture and our sovereign God? If you have a study Bible, perhaps there's a drawing of a map that plots out Paul's travel through the treacherous waters on the way to Rome. Sitting in our comfy home thousands of years later, we can have confidence that Paul will make it to Rome safely. But that wasn't Paul's experience in real time. Let's remember that a hundred years from now, we will look at the map of our life and see all the safe harbors that God led us to on the way to fulfill his plan. It might seem rough right now, but remember who holds the map. Better yet, who created the map. Having a high view of God helps us to back up far enough to see that he has it all under control. He has every safe harbor mapped out. And even if he decides to take us home, in the words of Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now let's go to the Old Testament. We're in Numbers 35 and 36. Today, we wrap up the book of Numbers. I'm excited to dive into Deuteronomy tomorrow, but let's let's see what God has in store for us in these final two chapters of Numbers. First, a few things that we can learn from chapter 35. Here's a great reminder that God provides precisely. Nothing is done with a flippant disorder in God's economy. Here, uh, he provides the cities for the Levites, 48 cities, six of those cities are for refuge. And as you read along and learn about these cities, you can learn about how God wants homicide to be handled, which is another good reminder of God's perfect justice. If you did commit premeditated murder, you were going to be put to death. If you commit manslaughter, you may flee to a city of refuge so that you cannot be avenged and experience due process. And second, in chapter 36, we read about the daughters of Zelophehad. We read about them again, actually, because earlier they asked if they could change their inheritance rules so that 
when a man had no sons, his daughter could inherit the land or his daughters could inherit the land. That was granted to them. Uh, Moses granted that so that they would not lose that land as part of their uh, family's inheritance. But now the leaders of Zelophehad's clan see a possible problem in this updated condition. What if the daughters marry outside the tribe, they thought. Then their property would become the property of the tribe in which they married into, and it would not revert to the original tribe during the year of Jubilee. See, this year of Jubilee occurred every 50 years, and it states that land which had been sold returned to its original owner. But this didn't apply to land that was transferred during a marriage. Normally, when men married, their land was not transferred to another tribe, but stayed in the tribe to which they belonged. But this wouldn't be the case with these daughters of Zelophehad. So Moses, his, he rules that these daughters are to marry men from their own tribe to keep the land within the tribe it was allocated. And this is probably a fitting end to the book of Numbers, as the entire book is a reminder that God commanded this nation through the prophet Moses. And I think it's a fitting point to pause and, and worship God, that he never leaves us without direction. We have complete, uh, we have the complete canon of scripture, but none of his people have ever been without direction. Now, whether his people heed his instruction is another point altogether, but perhaps today is a great day to praise God for your Bible. Can you imagine living without one? Can you believe some Christians have limited or no access to a Bible? Let's praise God for the fact that not only do you have your Bible, but if you're listening to my voice right now, you have access to resources to learn about it all the more. And in response to that gratitude, let's stay busy with our noses deep in our Bibles and our hearts open to its commands. Lastly, let's go to the Psalms. Psalm 37 verses 32 through 40. I read today's passage in the Psalms and just thought to myself, I'm going to read this passage out loud. I thought that because I love these final verses in Psalm 37. How rich are these verses? How encouraging. In light of what we've learned so far, I think these will only serve to encourage us to trust the Lord all the more. Listen for a pattern here. There's a pattern in these verses, magnifying the protection and grace that those in Christ will receive from the Lord and exposing the destructive end of the wicked. Listen for that pattern and be encouraged. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright. For there is a future for the man of peace, but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. There's no place like home. We know that to be true in this life, whether we're taking a trip on vacation or we're making our way home through a storm. But today, let's keep our eyes focused on our eternal home. Let's live in expectation that God will bring us home safely in the end. And when we stand face to face with Christ, we'll give that one final sigh as we've never sighed before and say one last final time, there's no place like home. 
Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. I will be filling in for Ben Blakey until he's back on Monday, March 29th. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.